everyone, and welcome to Season 2 of Movie Rob Minute. I want to once again thank all of my guests and listeners for helping me make Season 1 such a success. It was a lot of fun, and I hope you all enjoyed listening to it. This season, we'll be taking a wild daily trip through the 1987 John Hughes comedy, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, one minute at a time. For those unfamiliar with the premise of what an MXX podcast is, it was originated by Alex Robinson and Pete the Retailer back in 2012 when they began the Star Wars Minute, which is now still going strong. If it wasn't for their hard work nearly a decade ago, most of us would never be doing this. There are currently over 200 MXM podcasts as of this recording and still growing. I want to give a shout out to all the MXMers who came before me for helping to inspire me to do this crazy idea because I'm sure most people think that we're all crazy for doing this. Through their Facebook forum, I've made lots of new friends who've been so helpful in all aspects of creating this kind of show. On a personal note, I want to especially thank Jake Cluett of the Deep Blue Sea podcast for getting me to finally start doing my own show last year. Without Jay, this definitely never would have come to fruition. This season, we'll have 19 weeks of shows delivered to you every weekday from now until the beginning of July. So sit back and enjoy everything in these 93 episodes as my weekly guests and I will begin to dissect this hilarious classic film in minute detail, one minute at a time. I'm going to be doing things slightly different this time around and hope to give you listeners so much to enjoy as my guests and I dive deep into this movie over the next four months. Look out for four new features that will be appearing throughout the show. We'll have Off the Beaten Track. We'll have Martin Monday. We'll have Hughes Hump Day. And we'll have Weekend Candy. I also want to thank Sean and Brian German from the Groundhog Day Minute. On their show, they did a special holiday series about this movie where they broke it down day by day. They obviously didn't go into as much detail as we will here, but listening to their show gave me lots of insight and inspiration for doing this minute-by-minute podcast. So thanks, guys. I appreciate it. My guest for this week is none other than the aforementioned host of the Deep Blue Sea podcast, Jay Cluett. Welcome to the inaugural episode and the inaugural week of this show, Jay. Thank you, Rob. Honored to be here. And thank you for the uh, the extra thanks in your intro. You're, you're more than welcome. I'm happy to have inspired uh, more people to start podcasting. Yeah. About, yeah. about fantastic films as well. You, you keep picking films that I adore. Well, hopefully hopefully, I'll one day get to one that, that, that you don't like as much, but I'll still you know wrangle you in to, to talk about it. I hope well, not. Like, you keep doing films <laughs> that I love. <laughs> I'll do my best. I'll do my best. I'm, I'm going to keep doing films that I love. So hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll, there'll be, uh, we'll coincide on those various. We have a lot of crossover, so that's fine. Yeah. So I want to first start, start off by telling people a little bit of information about this movie. It came out in 1987. The best year of film. Jump right. It is one of them. It is one of them. It, wait, are you saying it's the best year of film or it's the best year period? I mean, it could well be the best year period. Best, all the best people were born in '87. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but I, I, I love '87 as a year of cinema because you have you have Planes, Trains, you have RoboCop, you have The Princess Bride, you have Predator. There's so many fantastic, iconic films from that year. Yeah. So I'm so happy to be here to talk about one of them. Excellent. Um, I'm glad you're here to talk about them. So it was the 29th highest grossing film of that year. Do you have any idea what the highest grossing film was? Uh, I think it's Three Men and a Baby. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the year, 1987. Oh, uh, no, I don't. It was Beverly Hills Cop 2. 
You know, I think I did know that, but I'd forgotten it. So uh -huh. I'm okay. Okay, that's <laughs> fine. You, you don't have to remember everything. That that's sort of what we're here for to to tell people different things about that about that year, that movie, everything. That's, that's actually that's a film I don't like. Everybody else got to. I didn't enjoy it when I saw it. I li I liked it better than the third one. <laughs> I not as much as the first one. Okay. Yeah. You know, so I guess it, I've just checked, and I, I, Three Men and a Baby did make the most of the year. Made the most of the year? No, it made the most. Well, in in in, the, in America, at least the. Uh... No, well, I mean, according to to uh, Box Office Mojo, so Beverly Hills Cop Two was the highest grossing movie in '87, followed by Platoon, Fatal Attraction, The Untouchables, and Three Men and a Baby. That was the third highest grossing film. Okay. Okay. I I think you're talking more about the total gross of the movie, not just what what happened in. The theaters in 1987. I think that's the difference here. I uh, yes, I am. That is that is correct. Right. So yeah, okay. in, in mean, that instance, right. Three minutes. Three minutes. Baby, baby made 100. Scope two is is third. Yeah, it made 168 million. Uh, 168 million in 168 million dollars that year. Or that movie yeah. made 168 million dollars, but since it only came out in the end of November, so most of that money came in 88. But I was oh, I, I was see. just looking at okay. 80s movies that were released in 87. Yeah, you know, or during the year of 1987, has that? I'm with you. Okay. Yep. But okay, you get points for that one too. Has that? All right. <laughs> and and it's amazing to see the, the the large gap between the the numbers here. If you look at them, but I've just I've just always been amazed at how much money Three Men and a Baby made. Yes, <laughs> it's it's a fine film, but it's not like it's not like Avengers Endgame. No, no, it it's doesn't. No, it doesn't. Like, it doesn't hold up very well either. You know. I mean, one of the reasons I, I forgot to mention this earlier, one of the reasons that I chose to do this movie now is because this year is the 35th anniversary. You know, 2022 is the 35th anniversary of movies that came out in 1987. So it means everyone who was born in 1987 is also going to be 35. I, I, I don't want to talk about that, but OK, that's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a sad fact. Uh, <laughs> As I always say, Jay, it's better than the alternative. That is, that is true. Yes. Yeah. Especially in a COVID-laden world that we're living in. <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly. So, well, now we talked about the highest grossing movies of the year. So it came out on November 25th, which was a Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving. And Makes sense. What movie? Uh, do you know there are two other movies that came out that same day? you have any idea what they were? Not a clue. Okay. One of them is Three Minute Baby. <laughs> Hey. <laughs> and the other is a movie called House Housekeeping, which I've never even heard of, and I looked it up and couldn't really figure it out. I mean, because Housekeeping was was made by Columbia, Three Men and a Baby was made by Walt Disney Touchstone, and then you yeah, have okay. this movie, which was made by Paramount, which we'll get to in a second. So, what do you think was the highest grossing film of that particular weekend, the the Thanksgiving weekend? Um, I mean, probably Three Men and a Baby. Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. Plane Trains and Automobiles made $7 million on its opening weekend, but Three Men and a Baby made $10.3 million. But, three, uh, but PTA was actually only the third highest grossing film of that week because they, they re-released Cinderella in the theaters the week before. And this was in its second week. It still made $7.2 million. So Cinderella, I mean, that was that was back when Disney was playing games and, you know, they, they weren't releasing things on video at the time. 
So anybody who was interested in, in seeing a Disney movie, you actually had to go to the theater and see it when they re-released them. So. Yep. Damn the, uh, the money grubbing scum that they are. <laughs> who, who, who make good <laughs> movies. How's that? <laughs> Indeed. Yes. I love most of their films. Exactly. <laughs> and it, so it's, it's five day gross was actually $10 million. It was actually in the top 10 for seven weeks, which is pretty amazing. Also. That's it. Yeah. It, Came out. It was released in England in on the twelfth of February, nineteen eighty eight. So we're talking three months. Because Thanksgiving mean, means nothing to us. No, that I don't think that was the point. I think back then, you know, the international releases took a lot longer to come out to get out. Yes, it's still the case sometimes. No, but now it's all digital, so it's a we, little easier. You say that, but we only just got uh, well, Wrath of Man, the Guy Ritchie, the British film. Guy Ritchie, Jason Statham, America in January, and we got it in uh, December. So, oh wow, okay, yeah. no, but, but, but the question is whether that was because of COVID or or because of other reasons. Probably COVID. Right, that you never. <laughs> it could have come out a lot earlier. Right, so these things still happen. Okay, I'm not, I'm not at all bitter about any of it. <laughs> so the the budget of this film was 15 million dollars, and it actually made 49 million dollars in the theater. So that that's also nice. back then it was quite impressive. I mean, now if you say a movie that's made forty nine million dollars, most people will say, yeah, that's uh, you know, that's not a very high grossing film. Well, these these days it's not bad given the situation we're currently in. But that's true. If you say for a budget of fifty million, it made almost fifty million. I'd say that's that's still good. Yes, because it's it's difficult to make a film of this scope for for just fifteen million dollars right. today. Now, obviously, there's inflation rates and stuff right. but... what's what's amazing is that it made 35 million of that amount between november 25th and december 31st yeah so what well, it's yeah, it's a whole it's a holiday right. film. it's a holiday it film sense. it did it did a lot of work it did a lot of business back then i mean obviously it only made 14 million after that who knows how long it was in the theater for i couldn't that i couldn't tell you we know at least seven weeks because it was in the top 10 for seven weeks so it was filmed over the course of 85 days so give or take three months. And they mostly filmed the movie in uh, Batavia, New York and South Dayton, New York. The first cut of this film by John Hughes, who was the writer and director. Do you, you have any guess how long his first cut was? The, mo the movie itself is 93 minutes. So it's one hour and 33 minutes. So how long do you think the first cut was by John Hughes? My guess would be uh, maybe an hour 45, hour 50. It was three hours and 45 minutes. <laughs> okay. And that's what he filmed. The script that I have is the <laughs> final shooting script. Twice as long. <laughs> I have the, the – the, what do you mean twice as long? It's more than twice as long. Yeah, yeah. It's it's two and a half that's, times that's, as long. That's like – the Play the series Autoville is longer than The Great Escape. Yes, very much. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an hour longer than The Great Escape. <laughs> Personally, oh, personally, see personally, I'd love to see the the, the full cut of yeah, this, but yeah. but there is no full cut. Apparently, all of the they, they still have all of the film somewhere, but it's not put together. So they're waiting for the 35th anniversary. That's this year, release it, maybe. I think. Yeah, there we go. But but unfortunately, John Hughes can't do it. <laughs> no, so we're not sure. So I mean, I I do have a copy of the final shooting script from June 23rd of 1987, which we'll be talking about this a lot over the next. 19 weeks where there's a lot of changes a lot of differences so we'll get to talk about all the different uh, aspects of the film that, that were cut 
and uh, you know we can discuss whether it should have been cut or not and things like that. John Hughes shot over 600,000 feet of film making this movie, which is more than twice the average movie. There's a subplot, which we'll talk a lot about over the course of the recordings, over the course of the show, about his wife thinking that he's lying the whole time and that she's cheating on him. And that he's cheating on her. Sorry. Oops. <laughs> they decide to cut that out, which which is why in a lot of scenes where he's talking to his wife or about his wife, things sound a little strange. Because they're, they cut out I a lot of I can see that being it. an annoying subplot. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm happy that's gone. I think I did read somewhere that was that – was... Uh, an option for the film right so i'm happy that's not there right ira newburn uh, wrote the score which I, I love the score i think it's really done really well it it it's a, a fun 80s type of score because it's like a techno synth, synth synthesized score stuff like that yeah is it the same composer as as ferris bueller i didn't i didn't check i don't think so i i gotta tell you i, okay. I didn't check that either I, did, I didn't even think to check what else uh, Ira Newburn has done. Hmm. Have to have to check that out. Have to take a look to see what it's he. Just, I don't know, Ferris Bueller has a very similar score to me. I'm not a musical guy, so I could be completely wrong. Right. Uh, but he did write. He scored and wrote songs for Sixteen Candles, Weird Science, Ferris Bueller, Uncle Buck, Planes, Trains, and also More Rats and Ace Ventura: Pet Detective. Okay. <laughs> so there you go. So, His last two, not not involving John Hughes. Yeah. <laughs> But it's a similar teenage angst-themed films, you know. Uh, more routes, definitely, yeah. 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 So then we have Siskel and Ebert both gave it two thumbs up. And Siskel thinks that it was the, the best John Candy role ever. And Ebert has included it in his great movie list. So that's also... I would agree with yeah, that. So would I, yeah. I definitely would also. On <laughs> You should do a podcast. Maybe. It. That's a good idea. Uh, I'll have to think about that. Maybe Maybe next year. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 92% approval rating with 62 critics. On Metacritic, it has 72% rating of, with 22 critics. So I don't know what those 22 critics are thinking if they're only giving it a 72. That's the, well, like the the 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. I, I always want to think like that 8% of critics that didn't like this film. What, what are they watching? What, exactly. What, what happened? What did they not like? What did what did Steve Martin do to them? Apparently. It's the fifth John Hughes movie that he was both written and that he wrote and directed. The other, you have any idea what the other four are? Uh, uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I know the, I know all eight of his films, but not necessarily what order they came out in. So before this would have been Breakfast Club, Weird Science, uh, uh, Ferris Bueller was the year before, and. 16 candles. Very good. You got them. Four, four for four, Jay. Hey. I like John Hughes. I've, I've never seen uh, Curly Sue, but... I thought you were going like to say, I've never seen, I thought you were about well, to say, no. I've never seen a bad John Hughes movie, but... <laughs> I, well, I, I have. I've seen She's Having a Baby. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that in a few weeks here also. <laughs> it's, it's, that's, a, that's a fine film, but not a great film. Yeah. It's got a couple of good yeah. things. Supposedly, both John Candy and Steve Martin think that this was one of their their best films and it's among their favorite films that they made. John Hughes was inspired to make this movie after he had a five-day trip traveling from New York to Chicago that went via Wichita and he actually wrote this script in just a few days. I mean it was it's unbelievable the fact that it's such a long script 
and he's able to do it so so quickly. Well, he's uh, good at his job. Yes, he's Steve Martin, an icon for yeah, reason. completely. Steve Martin agreed to actually do this film based on two scenes in the script. One is the the seat adjustment scene, where they're they're playing around. You know, we'll, we'll talk about that in a few months from now. And I'm sure you can guess the second one. You say that, but there are several. Like those aren't pillows. Would be a no, no, no. But I'm saying these are the, there were two. There, there were two scenes that 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 sold him on it. He said these two scenes are the reason I'm doing this movie. One was the seat adjustment, and the other is. Is it the the final one with the the, the revelation about John Cannon? No, it's the marathon scene. Oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> fine. I mean, like the, this film is is nothing but great scenes. Yes, that's so true. Awesome. I, that could be a few. That is definitely true. Do you know who John Hughes originally wanted to play the the two roles of Neil and Dell? I do not. Okay, he wanted Please tell me. he wanted Tom Hanks to play Neil and yeah. John Travolta as Dell. <laughs> nope, not at all. Tom Hanks, yes. John Travolta, no. No, but I don't, I don't think I, I love Tom Hanks, but I don't think he could have done a better job than Steve Martin did here. I don't think he'd have a better job. I, I think he would do just as good. Slightly different spin on it. Steve Martin is great in this, but I can see that character being a very Tom Hanks esque character as well because yeah. he gets. Like, think of him in uh, in the Money Pit, where he gets like quite irate and frustrated at the house. Sometimes I don't like the Money Pit; it's a bad film. Uh, but I can see him doing a very brittle, angry Tom Hanks performance in Plain Strains. I can enjoy that. But John Travolta is a bizarre choice for almost any role. I yeah. think. <laughs> a John Candy role, especially that I can't make that work. Yeah. Completely, I, I completely agree with you on that. Also, John I John can't Goodman. Anybody other than John. Apparently, Cameron, John though. Goodman was also in the running for the role of Dell. Actually, I can see John Goodman doing. Mm, that. I can see. That. I can, I can uh, see it. But, but I, again, I prefer John Candy. So do I. Yeah, I prefer, I prefer John Candy. But I can see if if he wasn't available, John Goodman being a satisfactory replacement. Right. Now, John Candy. There's there's a little anecdote about him when they when they were getting ready to shoot. He he arrived with a lot of exercise equipment for him to use during production. They had to install treadmill and a bench press and weights and other exercise gear in his hotel suite. And Steve Martin claims that Candy never used any of it. (laughs) 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 Which is pretty funny. Well, good on him for having uh, the intention, at least. Exactly. That's that's half the the battle. That is definitely true. And my, my final bit of information about this this movie before we actually dive in to start talking about everything that happens in the movie. But I, I still hope I hope people are still finding this interesting. <laughs> Is that there actually there's a there's talk about a possible remake right now that's in development. Did you see anything about that? I, I didn't. I don't need it. Right. We we already have this we, like remakes should be for films that weren't done very well. That is correct. And this one is is near perfect so i don't see the point in that i completely agree with you and apparently this remake is with is supposedly with will smith and kevin hart yeah exactly i'm good (laughs) i'm all right i feel the same i I like both of those actors they're both good in their various roles but i can't see a direct remake of this with them right no i agree i agree with you 100 percent. i don't as as you know I'm, i'm not a fan of remakes i don't think most remakes need to be made Every so often you get a remake that is done better than the original, but it doesn't happen very often. 
and chances are a remake is not going to be as good unless you have like spielberg doing the remake or something like that you know then then maybe it'll be even good. then mm. I, I, I haven't seen his new west side story i hear it's good. i i loved it uh, i like the original i loved it i, I love the original and i actually loved his version even more because of the way okay. that he was able to to add things to the story to enhance it even more but we're not talking about west side story <laughs> Um, maybe by the time Westside maybe story, by the time yeah. this comes out, you'll have seen it, Jay. Who knows? I hope so. Yes, I do intend to see it. It's just it's a busy time. Yes, it's always a busy time. That's always it's always exactly it's always a busy time. <laughs> All right, so now we can actually get into this minute. So nice. Okay. Minute one <laughs> begins with the opening title and ends with Bryant contemplating an ad. <laughs> It's a frustrating. It's a very frustrating. Week. But but that's why it's great that I had so much for something to happen. I had so much more to talk about. So that's good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we're not even close to being done. How's <laughs> that? So we get the opening we're title. Almost halfway. <laughs> we get the opening title of Paramount Pictures. That is their 75th anniversary. So this came out in 1987. So Paramount Pictures actually started out as it was known as the famous Players Film Production Company. And it debuted in 1912. So that's how they get... We're now on the 110th anniversary. Exactly. Year. Very good. That's how they got to the that's, 75th that's anniversary, impressive. which is very impressive. Now, for me, when I... Don't very good me. 75 plus 35 is not a difficult thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't saying that your, that your, that your math, that your addition was, was, was what was impressive. <laughs> nice try, Jay. <laughs> But basically, no, for me, it was very surprising that there was a Paramount Pictures 75 years earlier. And that's why when I d dove in and found out that we're not really talking about 75 years of Paramount Pictures, but 75 years since they started their company, even though it's changed names over the years, that type of thing. I see. Okay. So, yeah. Then we start with a title which shows the words planes, trains, and automobiles, and they have amazing sound effects. I was so impressed. They do. I, I love that they, they have the sounds of the planes and the trains and the, and the automobiles. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, I, I love listening to that all the time because it's just great because of the way they do it. Yeah. I I was trying to separate them out in my, in, as I was listening to them. And I was, I was frustrated that they have the plane noise first, which makes sense because that's the first word in the title. But then they have the car noises and then they have the train noise. No, they haven't. No, no. When they, it's the train. That's how – but, well, what – when the logo flashes by, then it's planes, trains, automobiles. Right. But prior to the logo, I, I heard planes first, then cars, then trains. Ah. I was like, you need to be, it's 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 not right, it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but it still sounds beautiful. Okay, so the first thing that you found that you uh, want to change, I, I you there you go. <laughs> and what's amazing is, is that's the only part of the, that's the only title they have of this movie. There's nothing else. Yeah, There's no credits whatsoever at the beginning character. of this movie. It doesn't say Steve Martin. It doesn't say John Candy. It doesn't say a film by John Hughes, written by John Hughes, directed by John Hughes, produced by John Hughes, everything John Hughes. You know, nothing. All, all we get <laughs> is plane chains and automobiles. And then we get a title card saying that it's New York City two days before Thanksgiving. Yeah. And then we get a nice shot. So this is a Tuesday. That's right. Very gay. You're pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I know some Americans. There you go. <laughs> For those who are not Americans, Thanksgiving happens on a Thursday. So this happens two days beforehand. On Tuesday, as Jay pointed out. 
<laughs> so we get to see a, a building in the middle of, of New York City. The General Motors. Ooh, building. you were able to also get, get the identification of that. Yeah. Which is yeah, and it's it's shot from a the, the angle it shot at reminded me of you know the, the scene in North by Northwest. Yes. When uh Cary Grant's going into the 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 UN on the shore. Well, that one's shot from above, but it's kind of off-kilter angle. I love that shot. This feels like the reverse of that, where it's shot from the ground. Right, but it, it's not the same item. building. <laughs> it's not the same. No, it can't a, be the same it's building. A building, completely. <laughs> it's, it's somewhere yes. else. No, but uh, so uh, the the GM building is actually a fifty-story office building located at seven sixty-seven Fifth Avenue, uh, known as the Grand Army Plaza. It was actually the former location of the Savoy Plaza Hotel. And basically, it was built during over the years between 1965 and 1968. And it was okay. built by, by GM. It was bought from GM by, the, by CPI, which is the Corporate Property Investors, in 1982. So at the time of this movie, it was still known as the GM building, but it was owned by CPI. And they actually owned it until 1998 when... Trump bought it. Um, uh, <laughs> We're not getting into politics here. Forget yay! about politics. Stay away from politics. <laughs> and then in 2003, it was bought once again by the motion for $1.4 billion. It was the highest price as of then for, 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 for buying a, a U.S. office building. Then in... I, I couldn't find this, but do you know if it's been used in any other films? I, I, I actually didn't check that. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one thing I did. I, I tried but couldn't find anything. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I did a quick search and didn't see it, and I didn't dive into it like some of these other things. We're we're gonna have a lot of things I'm gonna dive into this week. Right. So yep. bear with me, both Jay and all of all of our listeners. <laughs> so it was it was then uh, sold to Boston Properties, Zheng Jin and the Safra Banking family in 2008, and they actually still own it as of 2021. As of I guess the, the the beginning of 2022. Who knows if that uh, will happen? If anything will change there. There are 35 elevators in the building, which we'll we'll, we'll sort of discuss a little we'll bit later this week. But that that's a lot of elevators for a building like this. And do do you know what's located on the ground floor section of this building? Uh, the the start of the elevators, the doors to the mall. Mm, no, FEO Schwartz. <laughs> Okay, yeah. F.E.O. Schwartz, which people from anyone who knows about Big will know about F.E.O. Schwartz. That's where we're coming. There There we go. There you go. There you go. You figured that out. All right. I I didn't even make that connection before. There you go. Thank you, Jay. See, it's always good to have someone else here with me. (laughs) So F.E.O. Schwartz was actually founded in 1862 in Baltimore, and it was originally known as the Toy Bazaar. And it was it was opened by a German immigrant named Frederick August Otto Schwartz. And then he ended up opening a shop in 1870 in New York, which it moved again in 1880, moved again in 1897. And then in 1931, it moved to another place on Fifth Avenue, which where it stood for 55 years. So from 1931 to... 1986, right? Then 1986, they actually moved to the GM building, which, again, this was just the year before they made this movie. 
Yeah. And that, so it's pretty amazing that that big, which came out a year after this, that they it's were able to, to film it there. Exactly. And that the, the their flagship store actually stayed in the GM building till 2010 when it was when when it was closed down. And in in the year 2000, the company had over 40 locations, which now most of them are just franchises and most of them are completely, most are closed down. And a few that are left open are still franchises. And FEO Schwartz, they actually started putting out a holiday catalog that was published every year. And they've been putting, they put it out every year since 1876. I, I didn't check if they're still putting it out. Right. So I couldn't tell you if they, they're still doing that or not. So we have the GM building. Now that we have a little bit of information about what the GM building yeah. is. <laughs> and then we get a shot of a boardroom. Or actually we get a shot we get a shot of a an arm with yes. a watch that pops out and the watch says on it. What time is it on the watch, Jay? Uh I didn't make a note of it, but I'm looking at it now. It yeah, is okay. four forty five. Yeah. Correct. It was and did you check what type of watch it is? Uh, it is a uh, uh, watch with hands. An okay, watch. it's a it's a <laughs> eighteen karat gold Piaget Polo eight two seven three, which I nice tried watch. looking. I like that. Yeah, it's a very nice watch. I actually try. Well, also later on, Steve Steve Martin will tell someone that it's a very nice watch. Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I, I was trying to find out how much that watch cost at the time, which I was unable to find out, but I was able to to discover that you can buy a used one nowadays for $8,000. So, yeah. The interesting thing about the watches is that in the original script, it actually said that it was 456. So they, they gave uh, Neil an extra 11 minutes yeah. to, to get from place to place. It didn't help. No, no. And then we get a quick shot of, of Steve Martin's face where he looks quite nervous and agitated. Yeah, I I think angry Steve Martin is my favorite Steve Martin. Uh, so. <laughs> well, we're going to we're going to get a lot of that in this movie. <laughs> he's he's a very angry Steve Martin. He's an ang angry Neil Page through most of this movie. And then we have uh, an executive that's played by William Wyndham. And he's looking over some sort of ad. Yes, for, it's right? for lipstick. That's right. Uh, Ibis lipstick. Ibis lipstick. Uh, did uh, you look up what Ibis. Ibis is? Ibis. Ibis. Did you I look mean, up what it is? It's a Greek, uh, not Greek, it's an Egyptian, uh, it's a, the, the dog-headed god, I think. I didn't look this it's up. It's a bird. This is from... It's a long, it's a long-legged bird. What am I thinking? That was... <laughs> <laughs> now, I looked up to see if there's, a, if there's a real company called Ibis. And there actually is, and it's a marketing research company. But I have absolutely... No doubt that it isn't. There's no connection. <laughs> it. I mean, we know that 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 he's a marketing executive, but I don't think that he's come to New York to show to show someone a cosmetic ad as a uh, marketing uh, for a market research company. So yeah, yeah. I, I don't like this ad. I don't think it's very good. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I think maybe that's the problem. I mean, we're, we're going to talk about this over the course of the week, but I think part of the problem with this ad is is that he doesn't know which one is best. They're all crap. Yeah. Uh, the Egyptian <laughs> god, there's a, a god called Isis, I-S-I-S. -S. That's what I was thinking of. Uh, so no, anyway. Isis, Isis, Isis is something else. We're not going to talk about that It's, it's numerous things, but that's one of them. 
I was getting that and Anubis mixed up and not thinking of the bird at all. Uh, but yeah, the the ad because it's just a picture of, of a model and then four sticks of lipstick and no text at all explaining like what what are these colors? What are their names? What's going on here? So I don't think this yeah. is the final layout for the for the ad. It's just it's like we sell these lipstick colors. What are they? Guess. I don't know. Right. I don't like it. Exactly. No, I, I completely agree with you on that one. That's fine. So I looked up uh, William Wyndham, what his credits are. So he actually has 210 TV credits, 47 movie credits, including three John Hughes films. He was in this movie. He was in She's Having a Baby. And he was in Uncle Buck. All of them, obviously, in very small parts. He played yeah. the president in Escape from Planet of the Apes. He was in To Kill a Mockingbird. He was in the Americanization of Emily with James Gardner, who, you know, going back to season one connection there, Great Escape. I'm not going to do that with everyone, but, you know, we have one one person who we can actually do that for. And he was also in the movie The Detective with Frank Sinatra. Do you, do you know what uh, that movie is connected yes, to? Yes, the prequel, the prequel to Die Hard. There you go. <laughs> Where he, where I've never seen it. Sinatra really played it. John Leland, that's Joe Leland, Joe Leland. And that's actually pretty much how this minute ends. You know, not much has happened. We've we've had a lot to talk about, or I've had a lot to talk about. <laughs> well, so I, I uh, just find this very frustrating. Uh, I work in a kind of a design environment, uh, not, not in terms of like graphic design, but more product design. And sitting and waiting for it's not even my boss or on a client to provide any kind of feedback is infuriating i will get more into this tomorrow uh, but yeah I, i've been in this position and it's not a fun time to be in i've never had to leave to catch a flight waiting for the feedback but i've been uh kept back at work after i sh should have left waiting for any kind of feedback and it's just <sighs> steve martin is really capturing the the internal rage you have to <laughs> You have to. Yeah. You should be hiding it a little more than a little better than he's doing, I would say. But... <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's a so... weird folded blue thing in, in front of the boss's on his desk. Like, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out what that was. Couldn't figure it out. I, I, I could make out that he had fountain pens. That was pretty yeah. much it. It's, it's, it's a pretty yeah. empty desk. He's got almost nothing on it. I know very few few people who have empty desks like that. Well, it's because he doesn't do any bloody work, probably. All he does is <laughs> sit there and and. You know, look at these ads to try and figure out what it is he wants to do. Yes, must be. Yeah. Do, do you have anything specific you want to say about this minute? No, we, we covered all we went through. Uh, my main right. issue was I didn't like the advert. <laughs> did. Okay. And everything else right. came That's up. Fair. So yeah, uh, minute-wise, we covered everything. Right. Okay. So I now I, I mentioned earlier about the fact that that I have the a copy of the the final shooting script. So the opening of this movie in the script is completely different. It actually starts with a snowflake, very similar to what, you know, seven years later they did with Forrest Gump, you know, with, with, the, with, the, feather. with the feather. So here you have a snowflake that starts off. I'm not going to – it's too much just to actually start reading. It's, it's two pages of direction of where the It'll... snowflake goes. But, but the idea is, is it starts off in Chicago, and then, like, you hear planes traveling, and it flies up, and then it ends up eventually in New York. And it's it's just it's it's a cool idea, especially again given the fact that this is before Forrest Gump. You know, thinking about it now and saying, oh, that that's something they did in Forrest Gump, but the the fact that that they did this earlier, 
or that, that Hughes had this idea earlier to do that is is pretty amazing to have this this floating snowflake to try and show the distance between Chicago and New York and things like that. Hmm. So that that's that's one of the main changes they did there. And then they actually show us a lot of numerous scenes from New York before we actually get to the GM building. We see a female Santa Claus standing on a corner trying to sing Deck the Halls. We see a man trying to sell uh, ski masks. We see a cop frisking someone. He's frisking a boy, but nobody notices. People are just walking by. We see a Salvation Army uh, base, I guess you can say, on a corner where they're singing Come All You Faithful, but uh, there's noisy traffic all around and it uh, drowns out everything that they're trying to sing. Then you have a woman with fur coat walking next to a homeless man. After that, you have a large woman with two kids waiting for a bus, uh, holding a boxed Tom turkey. And then the last thing you see is an electronic store, which has a large plastic tur turkey, which apparently is supposed to look really ugly, and a colorful banner that says Thanksgiving Day Sale. So I, I understand why they cut all this, but I also like the idea that they're trying to show New York City, that it's this bustling area two days before Thanksgiving. You have all these different type of people that are not being seen, basically. Because yeah, whatever it's... they're doing, someone else is is you know someone else is outshining them along the way, whether it's the sound or music or things like that. Yeah, it's, it's it's setting the scene, but I feel like that's making it more about New York. And this isn't this film isn't isn't about New York. It's about not even a guy trying to leave New York, it's just a guy trying to get home. It's just about the problems of travel. It's not inherently right. about any particular city. So yeah, exactly. I don't think I don't think it needs it. Right. I mean, like I said, I, I thought it was a, a, a nice touch, yeah. but, you know, it, it's good that I can read that they did. And, and what's amazing is apparently they filmed all this. So, yeah. you know, I'd love to still see someone one day cut this all together. And then the only other difference I found in there is the, the fact with his watch with the 11 minute uh, difference, which I guess, as I said earlier, just gives gives him a little more time <laughs> to try to do that. All right, so since we've discussed everything we, we, we can out of this minute, <laughs> we'll uh, move along to the off-the-beaten-track. So basically, to, to let everyone know what that is, every day, either me or my guest, or my guest or I, however you want to look at it, will give us a little anecdote about some sort of travel adventure or misadventure that they may have had over the course of their lives, or maybe it happened to someone else, or whatever. Hopefully, these will be relatively short. But they could be long, too. That's fine, also. So today we're going to hear from Jay. Why don't you tell, give us one of your little travel stories off the beaten track? Well, I have a, a, a light story. I'll, I'll, I'll keep mine short because this is a, a long minute. As I met somebody who is in, who is involved with today's minute. I didn't, well, I didn't meet them. I've seen them live, I should say. So... Ooh. Uh, when I, I don't have anything as adventurous as anything that happens to Steve Martin and John Candy in this film. Uh, so, but when I, I, I don't I think very many people do. I, yeah, I'm grateful. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I graduated from university in 2009, and as kind of a present, my parents took me to America for a holiday. We went to to LA, uh, to Boston, and to Washington DC as a as a, a little two or three week holiday. Great, loved it. Uh, so in LA, in LA, we did the the Walk of Fame stars, the tour of Universal Studios, that kind of thing. Went to the Cheers Bar in Boston, 
uh, which I'm currently no, drinking I'm... from my Cheers glass as we speak. A show I've <laughs> never seen. <laughs> but a show I somehow... I, I have a lot of adoration for Cheers despite never having watched an episode. And like we stopped up at Philadelphia, ran up the the rocky steps in Philadelphia <laughs> whilst we were there because yeah, I pa- packed a hoodie just to do that. Yeah, uh, nice. Whilst we were in whilst we were in Boston, we had an evening where uh, my dad, my my mom was tired of staying in the room, so my dad and I, oh, what can we do tonight? Had a scout around, looked over the road from the hotel we were staying at, and Steve Martin was playing. Uh, he's, he's doing wow. a live a live gig over the road. Nice comedy. His banjo playing because uh, he had a band and they had a new album out. And so we just impromptu booked a couple of tickets, went and saw Steve Martin live. And he did some comedy beforehand, but the, the music, I've never really been a big fan of banjo music, but I enjoyed it there. Whether it was just because it was Steve Martin playing it, I don't know. Uh, but it's not a terribly adventurous story, but I went and saw Steve Martin live. So that's as much did, as you're going to get from Did me. you go up and shake his hand? Did you go and say, uh, unfortunately I, I, not, because it was a, a I loved cool... you in. I loved you when I was in diapers. I loved you in pretty much everything <laughs> I've ever seen you in. <laughs> Uh, but, um, but yeah, it was it was a, a great show. I've listened to the album since that he did, uh, and I took a picture of it and tagged it on Facebook with the people that I wish were his supporting band that who looked a little bit like the people that he had. So I tagged like a Chevy Chase and a Martin Short and a John Candy uh, amongst them, but which <laughs> horribly uh, uh, disrespectful to the the musicians that were actually playing. Uh, but there we go. <laughs> well, did, did anyone respond? No. <laughs> no. Okay. So then, then you're fine. Because, yeah. because you know, either they weren't they weren't impressed, or on the other hand, they were also weren't insulted. So you're you're good in both of those. So. <laughs> All right. Very good. And we, we could use that as a perfect segue into our other feature that we're going to do today. My God, it's like a do... There you go. We're going to have a, a today is Martin Monday, so we're going to be talking about the top five Jay's top five films of. Steve Martin. Now, just to let everyone know, what I'm going to do is every week I'm going to have all of my each of my guests tell me their top five films of Steve Martin, and then I will uh, rank them and tabulate them. And during the final three days of this show, I will actually mention the way that 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 it all comes out based on all of our rankings. My rankings included. My rankings will only come at the very end, though, so people will have to wait for that. Uh, I can't give the same rankings every week, Jay. Come on. No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, okay, so my, my top five, I wanted to include a TV show, but I didn't. Uh, I, I adored Only Murders in the Building that he did uh, last year as we're recording us. So anyone listening who hasn't seen Only Murders in the Building, I would recommend it. It's him. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a film about a podcast, a TV show about a podcast, so I recommend it. But anyway, my, my five films, number five is Three Amigos. Uh, very, very fun comedy. Uh, number four is The Muppet Movie. I'll watch anything Muppet related. I love anything Muppet related, but... Uh, put Steve Martin in a Muppet film, and two reasons to watch a film. Love it. Number three is L.A. Story, which I don't expect to come up on many people's lists. Uh, but I, I, I love re- that movie. I love that movie. It's it's so much fun. I think it's one of his lesser seen ones. I don't know if you've, you've seen it. Yes. Uh, but L.A. Story is one that... <laughs> I saw it in the theater. I saw it in the theater when it came out in 91. I remember that. It's one that's really stayed with me, uh, with the, the talking billboard. Number two, yes. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. It's got to be. That's number two. Oh wow! Okay. I I I adore this film. And number one, Little Shop of Horrors. Any film that has Steve Martin singing about being a dentist uh, is is going to be number one in my book. I love that film. I love the puppetry. Uh, I love the songs. It's all great. Okay, I can I can I can I can live with that. 
That's good. All right, well, <laughs> you're gonna have to, Rob. I'm sorry. Yeah, basically, that's true. It's now set in stone. I, I, so I imagine it's now your guess. We're putting PTA a little lower than that. So who knows? When we'll find out. We'll, we'll find see. out over the course of of the next uh, eighteen weeks of guests. We'll have to wait and see about yeah. that. All right. So Jay, do you want to tell people how they can actually get in touch with you? Yeah, you mentioned it in the intro. I, I host Deep Blue Sea, the podcast, where we we started up myself and my co-host Mark. Uh, started out doing something similar to this with the film with Rainy Harlan's 1999 shark infested masterpiece Deep Blue Sea, which we did one DVD chapter at a time, 33 consecutive weeks, looking at chunks as as little as just under a minute and as long as I think like six minutes was the longest one. We then finished that, did Deep Blue Sea two, and then Deep Blue Sea three, uh, 10 or 11 minutes at a time based on their chapters, and since then. Uh, at the time of recording, my co-host is on a paternity leave hiatus, and I'm plowing on regardless without him, uh, looking at Deep Blue Sea adjacent films that I am less familiar with. So films involving sharks or underwater creatures, underwater activity, or directed by Rennie Harlan that I hadn't seen before. So we've, we've done uh, Cliffhanger, we've done uh, The Shallows, the 47 Meters Down films, The Abyss. Santa Jaws was a recent <laughs> one that uh, I enjoyed a lot more than Rob did because Rob, you're keeping yeah. track, you're kind of keeping up with us to listen along. <laughs> well, I want to be able to understand what you're talking about. Yep, and I, I need to warn you about which films you don't need to do that with. <laughs> <laughs> and Santa Jaws is one of them. Is that what you're no, saying? No, The Reef is one of them. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, All so right. Deep Blue Sea, the podcast, is where you can listen to me talk about shark movies. All right, great. And you can go rate and review and subscribe on any podcatcher they might be using to listen to the show. You can send me an email at movierobminute at movierob.net. My Facebook group is MovieRobMinute. Our website is movierobminute.com. And the Twitter account is movierobminute. So basically, everything's movierobminute. That's the easy way to just remember all of those things. So until tomorrow, you're fine. You're fine. So, until tomorrow, uh, <laughs> I don't have a tagline. If you want to say it, you want to say tally over, you can't say I don't have a tagline. I do. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> you're screwed. I, there you go. Until tomorrow, you're screwed. <laughs>